Kia ora and welcome. You're listening to the New Zealand Wine Podcast and I'm Boris Lamont. Thanks for joining us for this episode where we're speaking with Paul Donaldson, who's second generation on Pegasus Bay Wines in Waipara, North Canterbury of New Zealand. Uh, Paul's parents started the winery back in the 1970s and Paul and his siblings are carrying on. So let's go have a chat with Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi. <laughs> nice having you on the uh, on the show. Thanks for taking the time out to, to join us. So you grew up about around wine, I understand. So your sort of wine journey starts back some way? Some way, yeah. I think we planted our vineyard. We bought the land in 1985. So at that, at that point, I was eight years old and uh, sort of spent my school holidays and, and weekends, you know, taking great cuttings and, and planting them or just, you know, general general unpaid labour, you know, paid with a scoop of chips at the end of the day or an ice cream on the way home type stuff with my, my three older brothers. So, I've, yeah, I, I probably got the longest level of exposure being brought into it. The youngest, everyone else got to escape when they left home. So did you move to live on the vineyard when you were that age? or you? Was- so my dad was a, uh, the, well, he was the head of neurology in a Christchurch hospital and he was seeing private patients on Saturdays as well. So... So we just came out every Sunday. We, we grew up in Christchurch, and in fact, my garage or my parents' garage in Christchurch was the first registered winery in Christchurch city limits at the time in 1991 when we had to do our first harvest, but we didn't, uh, didn't have a winery out here yet. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What was the first varietal that was planted? Oh, so did you did you plant it or was it already in or was it from scratch? Uh, it was a sheep farm when we bought it. So we planted, we took cuttings and we planted it ourselves from 1986 onwards. We, my parents attempted to dry for the first year or two and there was it's very free draining soil and they had quite a high vine mortality rate. So it took them a few years to get irrigation in and then it was 1991 was actually our first official where we got enough wine in or enough grapes in to make an, an enough wine to release. So yeah, and that, at that stage we did a Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot blend, a Pinot Noir, and a Sauvignon. Actually, it was a Semillon Sauvignon at that stage because a Semillon came on stream a bit earlier than the Saint Blanc, but mm-hmm. it was a white Bordeaux blend. Right. Okay. Do you know is that white? You know, were there many vines around in the, in the region at that time? No. no. There was there was another couple of vineyards, some of which have actually been replanted. So. So there's, there's one or two vineyards that are still slightly older than ours by a couple of years, but, but I think there was four, we were the fourth to go in, and of that, um, you know, some of that old Corbin's Block Riesling got, got pulled out and replanted as Pinot not that long ago. I think there's really only one or two pounds of Chardonnay left that are, that are older than ours now, but it was still a, a relative unknown thing. We were considered slightly mad. Uh, everyone else was, was contract growing and sending it up to Marlborough, I think. And, and we were sort of talking about putting in a winery and trying to sell it in Christchurch and yeah. run for wheel. Yeah. My parents. Yeah. <laughs> you've, got, you've still got those vines, some of those original vines? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our original planting is still intact. We did plant it just from cutting, so we have to have a quarantine on our block because very quickly it became um, known that phylloxera was coming. And, but that was actually when we planted, they said, oh, it's wasn't even in the South Island then, and everyone said that if it was, it'd be too cold. It wouldn't actually take. But of course, it's it's all over the country now, so and no one cares because everyone's got grafted vines. Because only mad people would have um, ungrafted vines. Right. But about a third of our vineyard is on its own roots, so so we've got all those plants, and they're doing they're doing well. They're at you know sort of thirty five years old now. That's when the French start saying that they're going to make good wine finally. 
Um, yeah. So we're, we're quite excited, but yeah, we just quarantine a lot. <laughs> yeah, we've changed our account. We're from another vineyard and stuff on it. Nice to have that age now, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah as, I, as I always think, it, it gives a, a much better level of concentration from fruit. It gives a more kind of even fruit set, we've found. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, yeah. it's not just a myth. It seems yeah. that old vine will actually make good wine. And so eight was when you started being around wine with your parents and just kept growing up in Christchurch. Did you just continue? Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, I took the circuitous path to the to the wine industry. I, After sort of being forced to work there as a kid, I felt there'd be nothing worse than working there after I got out of university. So I, I went down to Otago for university. I did a super applicable zoology degree with a, with a marine biology honours year. I, um, I started a PhD in seahorse ecology, all the things you do to get into the wine industry. I went up to Wellington and I, I started a job in banking and I did mortgages and all that sort of awesome stuff. And then I went over to Ireland and then I went to the UK for a couple of years, did that OE thing, and finally worked out that it might be quite good to come back and and work for the family business. And at that point, I, because I'd sort of done a bit of botany, my parents were saying, oh, you know, you could come back and work in the vineyard. And I said, actually, I'd much rather do business side of things. And that actually worked in quite well timing. My older brother was already the, the winemaker. Another brother was already doing sales and marketing. And they were kind of wanting to pull back my parents. So, so when my parents said, we were going to have to force it on a very busy other sibling. And I came along saying, I'd quite like to do it. That seemed pretty fortuitous. And because I'm a sucker for punishment, I, I went and did an MBA part-time at Canterbury University just to kind of get a bit more business knowledge. Yeah. That was 2005, and I've sort of been, now I'm institutionalised. I probably couldn't get a job in the real world anymore. Yeah, so, what was that? So, so 15 years ago was when you started getting involved. And so what, what have you been involvement since then over the last sort of 15 years? Yeah, all, all the glamour stuff really. I do a lot of forecasting, HR, health and safety, <laughs> accounting. But when I when I get the chance, I help out in the winery and uh, you know, the favourite part is, of course, getting involved in blending decisions or really just getting to taste all the stuff while they, yeah. while the wine put their superior palates to the test. Um, I do enjoy the homework that you get allocated, which is a half bottle of a potential final blend that you get to take home and and vote on whether you think it's got the right character or not. But yeah, a bit of everything really, but but mostly, you know, management stuff, fun stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Healthy marketing, if, if I'm allowed to. Family, your um, siblings still involved as well? Uh, look, I'd say we're probably the most nepotistic winery in New Zealand. We have uh, nine family members working wow. here. So all, all four of our sons, both parents still involved and three wives. Yeah. I think it's a recipe absolute disaster but um, it, it seems to still work must must make for some interesting debates about the blends then does it? <laughs> oh a pretty robust family discussions yep but um <laughs> that's all that's all part of the fun oh very nice yeah well that's that's very probably very unique for new zealand it's not a lot of wineries around like that almost the sort of more of the european model isn't it now obviously we don't have that bit of history in, in the industry that have vineyards wineries that have come down through the generations i think we're we're reasonably unique in new zealand terms as well i think and that we've already sort of transitioned to the second generation so my parents were quite happy to to pull back a good few years ago now and do just what they really enjoyed so my dad he oversees some stuff in the vineyard but but mainly just to to you know keep him sane my mum she moved from sort of doing management stuff to 
about I think the day I arrived, she put herself right on lawnmower and started getting into the garden. So, yeah. and I'm only 43, so I feel like we've probably got 20 years of before we even have to worry about transitioning yeah. to that third year. If any of our of our children are, are keen or even yeah. show any promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll they'll have the opportunity to to show promise. And so what, what varietals, so you, you mentioned what you started out with or what your parents started out with, what varietals are you producing at the moment? Well, actually, Joe, I did the counts the other day. We were up to about 35 different wines across, you know, if you can consider reserves and things like that, which seems like a ridiculous amount for a winery our size. So we started out with all the traditional ones, you know, Bordeaux blend of Cab Sav, Cab Franc, Malbec and, and Merlot. Very occasionally we, we split those out into individual wines just based on the harvest and the vintage. Pinot's a very big mainstay of us. A third of our vineyard is Pinot, a third is Riesling, and we make five different styles of Riesling. Riesling around a Chardonnay, Sauvignon, Semillon. We recently planted, well, it was 2010, we planted some Gewürztraminer just because, you know, what? why not have another variety you can't sell in your portfolio? <laughs> so it's a little bit of Muscat just to, you know, really mix it up. A bit of Pinot Gris, that's, that's I think, I think I've, yeah, that's about all of them. But obviously things like Pinot, we've got 12, 13 different clones and different grafting with rootstocks and various stuff that gives us great blending options in the in the winery. So yeah. they're almost behave different varieties altogether when you when you try them in the barrel. And are those, so all those pines on the same location? So we're split across two locations now. The, 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 we, we pretty much had our maximum planting capacity at Pegasus Bay and we, we bought a very small block on very similar soil types, about five kilometres up the road on, on the same, on the banks of the Wiper River there. And we at the moment, all the wines from that go into our, uh, into our main divide range. So, so we've got up there a bit of Riesling, Sauvignon, a little bit of Pinot, a little bit of Merlot. And that's where our Pinot Gris planting is. We don't do a Pinot Gris under Pegasus Bay. And our Gewurz is up there as well, actually. Yes, the Gewurz actually is the only one that goes into our into our Pegasus Bay range at the moment. But those vines are now coming up to 10-year vine age. So who knows? I suspect like we're seeing some pretty great quality from that site because it shares a lot of similarities with our site. So I suspect it'll be a case of making it into our Pegasus Bay range at some point. Okay. Yep, nice. And, and you mentioned Sauvignon and, and some other whites. You do a white blend? Uh, well, we do a couple of white blends, actually. We do a, a Sauvignon Sauvignon blend, which we have since 1991. We've recently released a... Yeah, I guess, I don't know, it's definitely a white blend. It's got about seven varieties in it. It's called Virgence, which is when your eyes deviate outwards before focusing inwards. And we were we're sort of, it's all little bits from our blends that we would often blend away that we decided were quite nice on their own. So we, we put them all together. It's, mm-hmm. it's got every white we make in it in a single wine. And the most recent one isn't even a vintage one because we found that, you know, reasoning ages at a different level to Semillon to a different level to Chardonnay so in fact to get what we felt was a really balanced wine it's got about two or three different vintages in there so it's it's just down as a virgin's white mark one as opposed to a uh, yeah. wine. so a bit more of an experimental label we kind of yeah, go yeah. Keep experimenting. that sounds great yeah I mean that's quite unique I don't think I've sort of heard about anyone doing that especially across <laughs> Across different vintages, almost like uh, almost like port and moving it from year and year. Under the same label as well, which is currently a whole bunch of Pinot, but that's probably going to change. We've, we've got a bit of singular Cab Sav and a few other things. So, 
Yeah, so we kind of got a Virgin's red and a Virgin's white, and it's really just to give us something fun to, to play with. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, is it hard, or do you have quite a following now? Like you're getting that into market and, and getting people to try try different things. There's always a challenge, isn't it, to in, in market to get people to get out of what they normally drink and, and try different things. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, as a family, we pretty much decided right from the word go that we would just make wines that we like, and we would just assume that other people will like them because we like them. Yeah. So we've tried very hard not to be market led in our sort of house style, but rather yeah. just to make, if we want to drink, we, we, we kind of said we should never make a wine that we're not proud to show someone. Yeah. And if we don't like a certain style, we just don't make that style, even though some people have told us we should make it because it'll sell well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We should make wines that might sound like a challenge to sell, but but yeah, I mean, we're very cautious, I guess. We don't make a big volume of these these things I'm talking about, and we yeah. see how the market reacts to them, and then we decide should we make more or just the same amount? Um, yeah. We're lucky. We're, we're all supported in Christchurch and the rest of New Zealand, and, and even internationally, we've been around for quite a long time. So, yeah, it seems to be that people will give it a go just because they kind of know the brand. Yeah, that's right. Think, yeah. So they've known you, known you long enough to know that it's it's certainly worth trying and, and seeing what you're doing, which is fun. You know, it's part of the journey, isn't it, of following a, a winery and having that experience of you know rather than just the same thing every year is um, you know being able to try things out and see what's going oh totally. On. And I think if you saw a just a random wacky looking white wine from someone you'd never heard of, you would be a lot more cautious about trying it than if you tried other wines in a range from a producer and then that looked like an interesting you know, an interesting option to try. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And so is there anything sort of coming up you're looking at doing? But it sounds like you've got a lot of, <laughs> a lot to a lot to juggle anyway with the, the different varietals and what you're doing. With yeah, that's right. I think uh, we're just looking to consistently make good quality wine that represents our vineyard, the variety we're trying to make in, in the vintage. So mm. that's the best thing about the wine industry really is you just never have a consistent product. It's never... Same, same, always going to be different purely because every vintage is different. So it's, it's, there's always something to look forward to. I know people draw similarities to the craft beer industry and I myself drink a lot of craft beer, but the difference is once you've perfected a recipe in the craft beer industry, you just make it again and again and there's not so much a vintage variation, whereas there is a certain romance in the wine industry about the fact that each year we think it should be different, but it shouldn't be any, it shouldn't be a quality difference. It should just be a character difference based on the vintage and that's, that's what we're really, that's what we're going for. And, you know, there's certain techniques you try out in other years and that's led us to put maybe slightly more whole bunches in our Pinot and, and things like that over the years. But, but ultimately, we're just trying to make good wine and we're lucky enough to be in an industry that gives us a, a variety every year to try and make good wine from a big mix. And you just, you just think, uh, God, how lucky is it? You know, if one year you focus on some Chardonnays and they're amazing and then the next year you get to try Pinots and... You know, it's, um, yeah, it's great. It's a great industry for that. And, and I suppose you would have seen, just going to the region where, where you are, you would have seen quite a bit of change since uh, when your parents first planted there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we, were, um, we were very, very early adopters of the region, but, um, and we certainly went through that phase of people planting without having a huge industry experience, and, and that slowly led to people's experience growing and now... You know, we are, funnily enough, a bigger region in terms of production than Central Otago, but I would say a less known region um, in terms of international profile or even 
of a national profile. However, in the last five years, that's that's been slowly changing. Yeah. We have there's been quite a lot of effort put into kind of sending the word North Canterbury around so that people actually understand. No one knew where we used to market ourselves as Wiper and oh, you know, is Wairarapa, Waiheke Island, Waitaki Valley, Waikato, Waipawa. So no one knows where you say North Canterbury and people suddenly actually know where in New Zealand you are. I think that has led to people actually a willingness to try the wines and, and an actual, yeah, we've noticed that it's been good. People like what they try. We're encouraged by it and, and we're encouraged to, to see it happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just I was speaking to someone just the other week, and they said that they said that's their favourite New Zealand region. So it's definitely sort of getting getting out there is being more understood what it is and what it produces and who the yeah I agree. And I think there was even a situation where people individually liked the wines from brands in the region, but they didn't actually know <laughs> that yeah. they were all in the same region because because it was down a sort of Waipara and yeah. people. Yeah. People, there was a general disconnect with where was that. You, know, you do a tasting in Auckland and people would assume you were somewhere on Waiheke Island and you do a tasting in Wellington, people thought you were from the Wairarapa. It's just it's a name that's everywhere. So I only clicked that brand is from North Canterbury and, oh, that brand's from North Canterbury. And, oh, these are all brands I quite like and they're all from actually the same place and I never knew it. So yeah, that's been, um, that's been a breath of fresh air actually. And is it is it growing as a region? Are there sort of more being more being planted and uh, not not so much. Our problem is water in this region, so there isn't the groundwater allocation is essentially full red zoned, and there isn't really a, we don't have a strong river supply like like other regions. We're fed from the foothills, the Waipa River, and it's it's got a pathetic flow and naturally pathetic in, in winter. Uh, sorry, in summer, so. Yeah, there's just yeah, without probably someone a bigger player, like there's land available, but without a bigger player maybe willing to invest in winter storage or some something that probably costs a bit of much a bit money, we've probably had reasonably full capacity presently. But I think that'll probably change. I think New Zealand is almost at full capacity in terms of good planted sites. So once demand makes it viable, I guess, in terms of financial investment we'll, we'll probably see some growth again in this area at the moment we're trying to grow quality yeah good and over the years any significant things stand out for you as as memories achievements or just even personally and you've lodged in your mind about a particular wine or a year or an event or something that that happened for pegasus yeah i mean look we uh we've been pretty lucky here we we had a restaurant on site that has over the years provided Lots of good times, and um, it's currently closed, unfortunately. But but probably the uh, we we did a great burlesque night for all our trade in Christchurch, where we popped them on a bus and we had people swinging about on hula hoops and, and tabletop dancing and all that kind of stuff. And when you get to do something like that, you realise, gee, it's not such a bad industry after all. That your work night is eating food, drinking wine, and, and watching a great stage show and, and having kind of some magicians running around and. All that kind of crazy stuff. So, yeah, that, that's that's the joy of the industry, really. Very social industry. Yes, and being able to get get everyone involved. So we we finish on a question: If you could have any glass of wine with anyone at any time and anywhere, who and where and what? <laughs> I'm a, even though we don't make it ourselves, I'm a shameless bubbles drinker, and I think I'd almost certainly. Vintage bubbles, probably a probably a belly pock. Lucky enough to try a 2004 a few years ago, and that was a pretty outstanding wine. Probably, yeah, yeah I can easily choose the wine. It's, it's harder to choose the person, but yeah, probably. Wicked Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters would be an excellent man to to chug back a glass of 
high-end vintage champagne with. Um, yeah. I've yeah. got him but I th- he just comes across as someone that I think would be great to chat to. Yeah, yeah, you'd have a few stories, I think. Be quite I'd probably go Dave Grohl, Billy Paco for probably Backstage. if I'm Adam. Backstage after a great concert. Backstage, blue, blue M&Ms and, uh, and a magnum of Billy Pop. <laughs> Very good. Hey, that's awesome. Hey, thanks, Paul. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Likewise, total pleasure. Oh, all right. Yeah, we look forward to what's, what continues to come out of, of Pegasus, and I'll, I'll certainly keep an eye out for one of those white blends. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks, Bryce. Great to talk. Yeah, Paul. Cheers. We've been speaking with Paul Donaldson from Pegasus Bay Wines in Waipara, North Canterbury of New Zealand. If you'd like to find out more, you can go to pegasusbay.com. And be sure to also have a listen to some of the other New Zealand wine podcasts about others in the wine industry here in New Zealand. And check out podcast.nz, where you'll find some other great podcast series. This episode was brought to you by bizzebu.com. Let's get your business started. Thanks for listening in. We look forward to your company again very shortly. Hikona mai. Bye for now.